Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. Shall we talk about open source software today? I love open so- source software. That's my one of my favorite types of software. <laughs> you are listening to Linear Digressions. Uh, so I have to ask you to start. Uh, mm. Have you contributed to any open source software? Not a lot, but I have. Yes. How about you? Uh, not a lot, but I have. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I've I've made a number of contributions to documentation improvements. Um, that I also is the couple... Lord's work, though. That... Ha. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's definitely true. Uh, I recently I submitted a pull request to the Electron repository, just adding to the documentation a link to some GitHub issue comment or something that had all of the answers after I spent three days trying to find it. And I found it. And rather than document it properly, I just added a link to the documentation. And that pull request was readily accepted. The My contribution that I remember most vividly was also a documentation example where there was a there's kind of a how to use this thing, uh, like Jupyter Notebook example in a library, and uh, I added in some additional functionality to show how you could do a little bit more fancy footwork with some of the optimizations that they were showing how to run. So That uh, is a pretty cool contribution. Yeah, it was super fun. I learned a lot. I got to interact with some of the folks who were, you know, pretty... Uh, I don't know, pretty impressive programmers, if I if I could say, you know, the folks who were running the project were, were giving me some feedback on the pull request that I opened. It was more work than I had realized. I think I when I rolled in, I was like, Oh, I'm just gonna do this drive by thing and make this make this notebook better. And then you know, it's a week and a half later. And I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, wow, this this was this is like real work. Um, but it was really great. And I think for folks who are data scientists, if you are interacting a lot with the open source ecosystem and super aware of it, then you're probably chuckling to yourself a little bit right now. But my guess is that a lot of our listeners interact with this system without even totally realizing it. It's very easy to be just a casual user of open source software. Um, and it's true. But it's such a unique, like weird, unique ecosystem just uh, from a community and a market standpoint that I wanted to spend some time exploring it and talking about it a little bit. It's interesting. Uh, For non-software developers, data scientists, computery people, Wikipedia is kind of a similar example to this. and I can imagine someone, you know, rolling into Wikipedia and being like, whoa, look at this awesome commercial tra- challenger to Encyclopedia Britannica, not realizing that it's just normal, everyday humans who are not getting paid who contribute to these articles. And perhaps a thing that when told about it initially, at least I can say for myself, I was quite skeptical that it would take off. And uh, here we are. Yes. So I, as we are recording this, I'm in the final touches of a an article that I and um, another person are writing for the Harvard Data Science Review about this topic. So I'm going to mostly follow the contours of that piece. And then by the time this releases, uh, I anticipate that it'll be published and we'll have a link to it in uh, at LinearDigressions.com. But yeah, I think... Small correction, it has already been released. <laughs> 
because we're in the future right now. Right. Great, great point. Great point. <laughs> um, yes. So there were a couple big um, pieces of this that I think were are worth calling out or that, you know, I spent some time exploring in my piece that I think the Wikipedia example gives a pretty good, there's a lot of commonalities between that and open source software, but there are also some interesting differences. So one of the first things that is, I don't know, arguably the most uh, novel contribution of of my piece was um, really starting to quantify how much of the open source ecosystem is built and maintained by a relatively small group of people. So by this, I mean that if you have a, like pick a popular open source library in data science, this might have, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads for some of the most popular uh, repos. Those are being used by hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, They are being maintained and contributed to by probably thousands of people. So like a couple orders of magnitude less people who ever contribute to the source code. Um, And then probably another couple orders of magnitude less of the core contributors. So the vast majority of open source work is done by a tiny, tiny fraction of people who are interacting with this ecosystem. Right. Like a hundred people, hundreds of people, or for, uh, for a lot of individual repos, one person, three people. Right. Yeah. So depending on the repo, you know, there's different flavors of this that you see, but very often there's a small group of core contributors, core maintainers who are really keeping the packages going. I think that as you point out though, there's different trends depending on whether it's a relatively large scale and and popular package, like maybe scikit-learn or pandas would be a good example here. And I should also say that some of them are corporate sponsored. Most of them are not, but a couple of them are. Well, that was actually where I was about to go is that, yeah, so you have your scikit-learns, which are kind of these in this interesting middle zone where they have some institutional support, but a lot of the contributors are pure volunteers. You have a long tail of projects that are much smaller, where it's like people just open sourcing whatever code they wrote for their like PhD program or something. Um, but then yeah. there's also yeah big packages that are open source, but that are maintained uh, by companies that have a lot of institutional support, and that can be pretty integral parts of people's business model. Because one of the things that's important to note about open source is that it's free. Uh, so from an economics perspective, it's like, why are all of these people doing all of this work for no money? Well, there's all kinds of interesting and creative ways that um, various companies have found to make open source software part of their business model, um, but not actually the entirety of their business model. And by that, do you mean um, companies, corporations that have Uh, repositories that they have put out and they maintain? Yeah, so there's a couple, yes, that's generally what I mean. And there's a couple of different, I think, incentives that drive companies to do this or ways that Mm -hmm. they make this work as 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 a project, I guess. So one is cases like Red Hat is probably the most famous example of, so Red Hat is a Linux distribution. 
And so Red Hat as a company, they don't charge for the actual Linux distribution, but they do charge for institutional support for on-prem enterprise installations. Uh, they'll help troubleshoot and maintain your implementation that's actually running on your computer. So it's like you don't you aren't paying for the software in that case. You're paying for them to come set up the software and maintain it for you. Right. Discord is another good example of that. It's forum software that anyone can uh, can run on their servers for free, but it's not the easiest thing to do. And so you might need a little bit of support. Yeah. And so there's a number of different companies. I think Red Hat is the, is the biggest one, but where uh, the, the software is free and open source, the support and consulting are not there's also, I didn't see as many cases of this, but I think it's pretty interesting. There's also cases where open source projects become kind of the engine in products and the products themselves are how a company monetizes. So the best example I have of this is that if you are using Databricks, which is a data science platform thing, um, it's built by the same team that wrote Spark uh, at Berkeley back in the day. So basically what happened was there was this team within Berkeley that uh, created Spark. It's an open source programming language. Basic, well, it's not a programming language, but it's like a, um open source like tool platform thing for doing large-scale computing. And Spark itself is open source, but Databricks is a this data science platform that's built on top of Spark. So it has all kinds of like nice computational efficiency and and things like this. So in the process of building and maintaining the Databricks platform, which people pay lots of money for, uh, that provides the support to keep Spark, which is the engine inside of the data science platform, uh, in good shape. There's a third reason I can think of, and that's um, public image. Yes. A lot of companies will contribute quite a bit to open source software. I mean, actually, a good example of this is my former employer, Facebook, who has React and React Native. So I mentioned them in the article, too, but I called yeah. them out for Profit, which is a... <laughs> Uh, a time series library. This is more of a data. That's more of a data science thing than like a JavaScript yeah. thing, right? Um, yeah. No, you're totally right. That's the third. Uh, that's a great example of the third reason, which is like reputation. That it and, looks cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 All all of the companies, all of the big companies in my field of just more general software engineering, uh, they all have some repos out there. Although I think one thing that's interesting is there is there are definitely companies that are more active in this front than others. So you've worked at Facebook, mm -hmm. you work at Netflix. Those both have really prominent examples. Uh, if you had worked at Amazon and Microsoft, IBM, you know, there might be many fewer examples of open source libraries that uh, you would have gotten right. to work on. So it's, it's, a, Although... it's kind of a cultural thing too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I do though see Microsoft doing a good amount in the in the research space, um, but maybe not as applicable to either of your or my worlds directly. Yeah, and this is I think Microsoft was especially in the you know '90s or whatever, much more buttoned up about this sort of stuff. Stodgy. I think, yeah, yeah, I think they're uh, you know just recognizing yeah that there are 
Um, in certain cases, maybe there's not that much that you're giving up by open sourcing a package, but that the rewards can be pretty dramatic. And I think it's not just reputational stuff, which feels kind of fuzzy and amorphous, but that it can really help, especially with hiring and recruiting, that you That's true. have a way yeah, of if there is somebody who's a superstar who's contributing a heck of a lot of code to TensorFlow or something, and you're Google, you say like, hey, let's get this person in the door, we'll see if they want to come get paid to work on TensorFlow for Google. And likewise, if you're a person who wants to go work at Google, like it's not the worst idea in the world to go make yourself handy on this big famous repo that's maintained by the person that you want to work for, right? Yeah, that's definitely true. Going back for a moment, though, to some of the volunteer aspects of the scenario that we're, we're talking about here, where, you know, for a lot of folks who are open source contributors, they're not being paid to do this. It's like nights and weekends kind of work is how important it is if you are somebody who's going to start interacting with the folks who build and maintain this software to not be a jerk to them. Which feels like I yeah. shouldn't have to say it, but <laughs> it was actually pretty dispiriting to read a lot of the a lot of the research that I did on this topic, where uh, maintainers talk a lot about being, you know, harassed and abused and yelled at for not being as responsive as somebody wants. Uh, they can be trolled. They get burned out. So when you think of what some of these folks are doing on their nights, uh, on their weekends for not any money. And the idea that sometimes people are being super mean to them while they're giving away their work for free. Like it just made me like really sad and upset. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing I think of to make myself a little less dispirited is just to think that, gosh, the internet's a big place and, you know, the people who are negative tend to come out as being louder on the internet than the people who are positive. But definitely it's it's not great that that there are people who are being mean to people who are doing a bunch of really high value, high leverage work uh, for both the person and really the entire world, especially for maintainers of these uh, deep core libraries. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important point and that where I probably learned the most in writing this piece, which is, you know, this software is critically important to the infrastructure of arguably all of computing. Um, I was taking a particular mm -hmm. data science lens on it, but it's just as true for data science. Um, you know, there would not be data science as we know it without free open source software. There just wouldn't be. Um, and, but nonetheless, the the way that it gets built and maintained feels uh, kind of shaky and it's based on people, people's altruism in some sense, you know, that arguably there should be more institutional support for uh, taking care of these repos in a way that there isn't right now. So um, what I learned in the course of writing this paper is all of the different ways that in some cases with small modifications, in some cases with large modifications, there could be much more robust support for open source software. So a few of these that I wanted to call out 
But for a fuller discussion, you can uh, just go read the article. Uh, so one is that when you use open source software in uh, the context of writing a paper, for example, where you're publishing or there's some kind of like references list to the work, you should cite the software in the same way that you would cite uh, a reference paper or uh, any other research that would go into your, your citations list. And likewise, if you, because so many of the folks who uh, build and maintain some of, especially the scientific packages that data scientists use, like, you know, the st statistics stuff, the machine learning stuff, all those kinds of packages, you know, many of them work in academia. They're professors, they're grad students, they're postdocs. And so having your software package cited, like a paper would be cited, is if that becomes both a, a norm and an expectation of the people who are doing the research and also of the folks who are doing things like evaluating um, job applications or uh, grant applications or tenure applications, then that would go a long way towards having an institutional incentive for building and maintaining like really useful software. So on grant applications, you can get you can get money for research. Can you get money to build basic uh, foundational pieces of software? Mm, great question. I mean, you can try, but so far there's not a great track record of uh, open source software packages being funded in the same way that like research is funded by the mm. government grants. There are some notable exceptions to this. There are also private foundations that fund open source software development, but this is another area of improvement in my opinion is if you are a person who's uh, in some position of influence in a funding agency saying that creating a library that enables a hundred researchers to do research to write papers is uh, arguably valuable <laughs> in the same way that yeah. writing one res one research paper yourself is valuable and that we have lots of money to fund the latter case right now but less so for the former Right. Yeah, it's so high leverage. Yeah, I heard a really, uh, there's just a, a anecdote that's like funny but sad. Remember remember a couple of years ago when there was that um, a science project where they knitted together those pictures and they created the picture of the black hole? There's like the visualization <gasps> oh, of the black yeah, hole. Oh, yeah, right. I think we talked yeah, about it on cool. this podcast. So that uh, visualization was actually created in matplotlib which is one of the python plotting libraries yeah and th this was the thing that made headlines as quote the first picture of a black hole yes and if the sources that i read are correct and if i'm recalling it correctly it was like within the same week that that picture was published and also matplotlib was refused a their grant application by some funding agency because it quote wasn't high uh, impact enough what oh no yeah so i that's i mean i think that that's such an egregious case that um hopefully it's it's it has made it into the literature as as evidence of how this system uh is kind of broken but nonetheless yeah, yeah that yeah. was not that long wow. ago wow which is pretty upsetting. So um, anyway, we've talked about a lot of different things today, only touched on a, a fraction of what we 
cover in in the article. So, you know, go check it out. Um, But in general, if you are a data scientist who is listening to this, number one, you should at the very least be aware and appreciative and not a jerk uh, about using open source (laughs) software. I would hope people wouldn't be jerks, but just say like, that is a, I think that is a just bare minimum threshold. Yeah. But moreover, yeah, that the open source ecosystem is actually, you know, probably pretty delicate and it's something that's, but it's something that's very valuable that makes all of our lives better. So insofar as you can be a constructive participant in this, whether you are just an enthusiastic user and a person who occasionally, when you see a, a maintainer of a library that you like, you know, at a, at a conference on the speakers list, like go to their talk and afterwards tell them that you appreciate the work that they've done. Um, and if you are someone who is in a position to do so, also thinking about uh, creating stronger norms around stuff like citation, like grant funding, uh, there's things that you can do if you're working at a company that the company can support open source either through allowing their employees to work on it part-time or making grants to various um, funding organizations. So there's a lot that we can do to make this ecosystem better. And and I think we should because it's just so valuable and so critical to everything that we do. So that is my soapbox. You know what I think I'm going to start doing after now that we've recorded this episode? Hmm. I think I'm going to start using Twitter again, but only to tweet compliments to maintainers of libraries that I use. Oh, that is so sweet. That's really lovely. Everyone should do that. (laughs) You just, you just add them and you're like, you're doing a great job. Yeah. This is, this is so cool. I really like that. Yeah. You know what? I like that as a, as a homework topic. Uh, y'all are stuck at home anyway. You're not doing anything and we all know it. Think of (laughs) an open source library that you use and that you appreciate and figure out somebody who maintained it. You can figure out who these folks are usually from GitHub pretty easily or, you know, poke around on, on Twitter, figure out who these people are and then tweet at them and say, I appreciate what you do. Yeah. And hey, also tell them what you're doing with their library. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know who long, who knows, is, depending on how long we're all stuck inside, consider contributing some stuff uh, yourself. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.